Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Daniel chapter 10, and uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of an introduction to this. Now, Daniel is in probably in his mid-80s at a minimum at this, at this point in his life, in this, in this section of, of the book of Daniel. And he's been given visions as we've been going through the, the, the book about future world empires um, and then Israel's future, in specific, in, in specifically Israel's future. And then uh, with that, and we've talked about that, and we're actually going to touch on that again, is the coming of the Antichrist and the destruction of the temple. So Daniel's receiving all this information. And uh, on top of that, as we talked about last week here in, uh, in the beginning of Daniel chapter 10, Cyrus, this is his third year, and he's, uh, three years ago he basically made a proclamation that the Jews could, could leave captivity, they could go back to uh, Jerusalem, they could rebuild the temple and the city, and, uh, uh, and what we find out, as we talked about last week, was that only a portion of the people actually went. A lot of them were just comfortable being there in Babylon. They were they were happy, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't go. And so you know this has got to be weighing on on Daniel's mind. Not only that, but he's he's received news that the Jews that did go, the pilgrims that went, they're receiving uh, opposition from the people in the land. And so this is weighing heavy on Daniel's heart. And uh, and so. In uh, the beginning of chapter 10, we talked about that last week, Daniel's given another vision, and the vision is of the Son of God. We're going to touch on that a little bit again this morning. And another visit by an angel, which is presumably Gabriel, although we're not told, I don't think, in this chapter anyways. And what strikes me, because I was, you know, as I'm meditating on the scripture and and trying to decide, you know, Lord, what's the direction we're to take in this, uh, what strikes me is that there's a lot of focus in chapter 10 on Daniel's reaction uh, to the vision and Daniel's interaction with this angel that appears to Daniel. And there's a lot of there's a lot of verses that talk about how Daniel is feeling what was going on and what the angel said and what the angel did. And as I'm studying this, and we know that, you know, chapter 11 and 12 is the prophecies that this angel is going to present to Daniel. And, and while I was you know, just meditating, I'm, I'm like, Lord, why is there so many verses having to deal with what Daniel's describing what's going on? And, you know, I'm a firm believer that nothing is accidental in Scripture. And so there's a reason why that's there. And so I was praying, and Lord, Lord, what's the reason? And, and all I can think of is what popped out in my mind as I'm reflecting on this is there's some rich spiritual principles that I think are, are, are that kind of come out in this chapter. And so that's the focus this morning. I want to take a look at some of the principles that I think um, are, are brought out in this chapter and some applications for you and I this morning. But to give us a little bit of context, I'm going to begin reading from the beginning of Daniel chapter 10, just so that we can kind of get on the same page together. Beginning with verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, 
no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, um, uh, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like feet, uh, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And last week we looked at that, and I compared it and put it side by side with John's vision in the book of Revelation, and also touched on Paul's interaction with the Lord when he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. And I believe very firmly that this is a vision that Daniel received of the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord pre-incarnate, that this is a vision of the Lord. Verse 7, it says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, verse 8, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. When I read that, what right away kind of reminded me is Psalm 97, verse 5, where it says, The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Just, that's what I thought of when I was reading this. Daniel says, My vigor was turned to frailty. That word vigor is the word grandeur. And it's translated in different, in different words and different verses in the Old Testament as either glory or honor or beauty. And so Daniel is saying, my vigor, my grandeur, my glory, my honor, my beauty was turned to frailty. You know, those are the things that a person uh, might take pride in, right? They might take pride in their glory or their honor, their, you know, their position, or you know, some people take pride in their beauty. I certainly don't because I don't have any. <laughs> but, you know, there's things that people take pride in or rely upon. And Daniel says, my vigor was turned to frailty. Well, what does frailty mean? The word literally means destruction. And in the King James Version, I'm reading out of the New King James, but in the King James Version, the word is uh, translated as corruption. So as I'm reflecting on this, I'm thinking, what, what's taking place here? And I think what's taking place is complete surrender. You know, we have a really good picture of surrender in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 32. And that's in the story of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac. Jacob, his name, of course, means heel catcher or supplanter. And if you know the life of Jacob, Jacob was a hustler. He was a, he was a con man. I mean, that, that's what he relied upon. That was his, that's just his modus operandi, if you could call it that. Um, and as you're reading in Genesis 32, you don't have to turn there because we're not, we're not going to read from there, but as he's preparing to meet his brother Esau, who years ago said, I'm going to kill this guy, you know, he's relying on his cunning. He's relying on his negotiating skills. And if you read the story, he sends gifts ahead of him. And there's a succession of gifts. And he's got all these children and wives, and he's sending all these people ahead of him. And he's in the very back of this thing. Well, he sent his family ahead. And it says that night that he crossed a river. And on the other side of the river, there was this man that met him. And the man turns out to be an angel. 
And Jacob wrestles with this angel all night. And towards the end of the night, as the sun is rising, this angel touches Jacob's hip, and it throws his hip out of joint. And the angel says to Jacob, he says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. So he's got a name change at this point. The uh, uh, Brown Driver's Biggs Dictionary describes the name of Israel as God prevails. And, and what I see a picture of this, because afterwards his, he's been touched on this, you know, his hip, he limps from there on out. The rest of, the, the rest of his life he's got a limp. And he's finally, he's come to this point in his life where he's surrendered before the Lord. And I, that's the picture that I'm seeing here. You know, there's a blessing in surrendering our strengths, our abilities, and what you and I rely on to the Lord. There's a blessing in it. You may think, well, I don't want to give up those things. But there is a blessing. The blessing is this. When you and I are weak, it causes us to rely upon the Lord because we can't rely on upon ourselves. We take no pride in ourselves. We don't, we don't take no pride in our glory or honor or, or anything that we can do. We, we just surrender it before the Lord. And weakness causes us to depend on God for our strength. And the blessing comes as God meets us in our weaknesses because he'll do that. Um, listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, and then I'm strong. You know, and so, so Daniel is, is, has this vision of, this Lord, of the Lord, and he's, just, he's like, there's no pride in me. Just, he just surrenders it all before the Lord. Verse 9, it says, Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. As Daniel's describing this, you can just kind of picture what's going on. Daniel is on his hands and his knees. He's bowed down to the ground. In, you know, he's just seen a vision of the Lord. And it's just, he's just down on the ground. You, you, you can't get much lower than being on your hands and your knees with your face to the ground. That's about as low as a person can get. And the picture that I'm, I think is being painted here is humility before the Lord. The thing is, if you're truly humble before the Lord, it's going to reflect in how you treat other people. Because if you're uh, truly humble before the Lord, you will be humble toward others. What is a humble person? Let me describe it to you. It's people who put themselves after others in importance. In other words, it's not that you are humiliated, but you put yourself, you just, you just set that stuff aside. You put your, your pride aside and you put yourself behind somebody else. You put someone above, above you. Humble people are not proud or arrogant. They don't behave or, or think like they're superior to others. And this is what I see in Daniel. He's down on the ground. There's, there's, he's just as humble as he can be before the Lord. And again, there is a blessing in humility. Psalm 147, verse 6, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts down the wicked to the ground. He'll lift us up. Psalm 25, verse 9, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Going back to our story here in verse 11, 
And he said to me, and this is the angel speaking to Daniel, and he said to me, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And I had to think, well, why is the angel, I mean, Daniel's in the right position before the Lord anyways. Now he's talking to, now an angel is touching him. He's in this place of humility. That's a good place to be. Why is the angel telling him to stand upright? Well, it says it right there. He says, stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And what's going to take place now is the angel's going to be speaking to Daniel. So why does Daniel, or why does the angel tell him to stand up? Because he's going to relate a message to Daniel. And when I was reflecting on this this week, there's one word that I am very familiar with. And I, if you've been in the military, you're familiar with this word as well. The word is ten. And when you hear that word, man, you snap to attention. Because that's what that word means. It means get, come to attention. You could be just, you know, hanging around, you know, relaxing, and, and all of a sudden you hear that word, and boom, you're standing at attention. Why? Because someone important is coming in here, and you need to pay attention. And you'll get in trouble if you don't. <laughs> so it means to come to attention. Well, in our context here, Daniel, I think, is being told to stand in attention. Why? For preparing to listen to what the Lord or what the angel is going to tell Daniel. You know, the scriptures tells us in Proverbs 4.20, says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, come to attention when you're reading scripture. Pay attention, because the Lord's going to speak to you as you go into the word. Paul told this to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. It's important to do these things. And so it's important for you and I, as we're reading God's word, to expect that the Lord's going to speak to us through his word, because he does. He does. So verse 12, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. I love that. Daniel is trembling, and the angel says, don't fear, Daniel. You know, God knows your and my needs, and he addresses those things. And so he says, don't fear, and then he says, I have come because of your words. But what was the words that Daniel was saying? Daniel was praying, is what he was doing. We're talking about prayer here. And it says here that God saw Daniel's heart in prayer. God saw his heart. He had set his heart to understand. What does that mean, to set your heart to understand? It means literally to having a single-minded focus while you're praying, to be singular-minded and to be purposeful in your prayer. And so Daniel, he's, he's, he's very focused in his prayer, and God sees that. The Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so God sees his heart in that. God also sees Daniel's humility in prayer. And I've I got to tell you, humble prayer is powerful. It's explained in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, and you guys are familiar with this, I'm sure. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You notice what the Lord doesn't say through that scripture? He doesn't say, if my people who are called by my name get angry or get educated or get engaged, then I'm going to heal their land. And I think that is so good to hear in our day and age right now because I think our land is very sick from violence, from the bloodshed of abortion, from wickedness that's taking place throughout our land. And it is good to get angry. I mean, if it's godly angry, right? We're, we're to be angry, but not to sin. So it's, it's okay to be upset. I mean, I, I, read, I see what's taking place, man. It's just my blood boils when I read some of that stuff. It's very good to get educated. You know, we're not to be, we're, we're to know what's going on, to understand what's going on. And I think it's also good to be engaged and to be voting or, or engaged in the public discourse. It's good for us as Christians to do that. But that's not going to heal our land. Healing our land is when you and I humble ourselves and we're purposeful in our prayer and when we turn from our sin and then the Lord's going to hear our prayer and then he'll heal our land. I want to just share this with you. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you this morning. He is in your heart right now and because you have the Holy Spirit of the living God in you, as you are led by the Holy Spirit, as you're leaded, or excuse me, as you're yielded to Him in your life, you are going to be a godly influence wherever you're at. In the workplace, in the home, school, wherever you're at, in the community. If you're yielded to Him, you're going to be an influence in the world around you. You know, you think of the things that are evil and wicked now, and, and things are getting bad, but wait until the influence of the church is removed from this planet. Things are going to get a whole lot worse. Why? Because godly people, praying people, are no longer be on the planet. I'm talking about the rapture of the church. Paul speaks about the, the man of lawlessness, the coming Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2. I want to read this to you, verses 6 through 8. He says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. He's speaking about the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is at, already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Who is the he that needs to be removed? I believe it's the Holy Spirit indwelling the church. And as you and I, when, when, we, when we are removed from this planet, there's no more godly influence on the planet as far as the Christian, you and I as believers. And that's when literally all hell is going to break loose. Well, God here is listening to Daniel's single-minded, focused, purposeful prayer, and he's responding to it. The moment Daniel prayed, the angel tells him, God heard your prayers, and he sent me. That's what the angel said. I was sent. The moment you prayed, from the first day you prayed, I was sent. But the answer was delayed 21 days. Now, I wish I could, I could credit uh, this quote that I'm going to share with you in a moment. Um, I got it as I was studying in my, my Bible study stuff. It, it, I don't know who wrote it, so I can't. Maybe you, maybe you wrote it. You can, I'll give you credit later for it. But I want to just share this quote with you because I, I thought it was kind of intriguing to me anyways. 
says failure to complete transactions with God is responsible for many unanswered prayers. And I was thinking about that. What, what, what is he talking about? Completing trans... It's like I'm making a deal with God? No, I don't think that's what he's referring to. I think what he's referring to is when we persevere in prayer. You see, Daniel started praying on day one. God heard his answer, or God heard his prayer, sent an answer, sent an angel to respond. But it took 21 days, and we'll talk about that. There's some spiritual warfare going on. What if Daniel had given up after week one or week two? After 20 days, that's fine. God's not hearing my prayer. I'm just going to forget about it, you know. Or if he was just flippantly praying, you know, and, and it wasn't really focused, it wasn't fervent. What would have happened? He might have missed out on a blessing of God responding. So just an encouragement for you and I to persevere in our prayer. That's so important. And I mentioned, I just touched on it a moment ago, but these 20 days or 21 days of delaying of the answer coming, it was because of spiritual warfare. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. The kings of Persia, is he talking about Cyrus? No, he's talking about spiritual princes. Paul refers to that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual war taking place. We're not even, we're not even cognizant of it because it's in the spiritual realm. We don't see that. Well, here Michael is mentioned. There's not too many angels mentioned by, the name, by name in Bible, but Michael is one of them. He's mentioned here in Daniel a couple times. He's mentioned in the book of Jude in the New Testament and also in the book of Revelation. Here in Daniel, he's referred to in three different places. He's referred to as one of the chief princes. One of the chief princes, one of the chief angels. He's also referred to as your prince, and, and, the, and the angel's talking to Daniel, and also the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the Jews. That's, that's who Daniel's people were. What this tells me is that Michael, evidently, his responsibility is for the Jewish nation, for the Jewish people. That's his task as an angel. In Jude, he's referred to as the archangel who contends with Lucifer. Lucifer is the fallen prince of the demons. You know, some of the cults, and I don't know which ones exactly, but some of the cults, it might be the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses, they basically say that Jesus and Lucifer were like half-brothers or brothers or something. They put him on the same level. It's like Jesus is the good one and the devil is the bad one. And a lot of people think that and they believe that. And that's not true at all. Lucifer is a created angel. Jesus is not created. Jesus is the creator, John 1 verse 1. Jesus is the creator. And so if you want to compare, well, who's, who's Lucifer compared to? He's probably on the same level as, as Michael the archangel, only he's wicked. Michael's not a fallen angel. Michael never did fall or rebel against the Lord. So it's an important division, I think. Good thing to know. Well, the angel continues, verse 14. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people, so that would be the Jews, in the latter days. 
for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. Now, these prophecies in Daniel, you know, we talked about these different kingdoms, and, and Daniel's going to, you know, he's what's been revealed to him is the, the kingdom of Greece, the kingdom of Persia, the, the kingdom of uh, the Roman Empire, you know, this, the coming world empire. You know, he's been, he's been shared these things, but the primary focus of these visions in these prophecies, they primarily deal with David's people, the Jews and the nation of Israel. That's what, the, that's what these prophecies are, are mainly focused on. And so it says there in verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. You know, sometimes that's not a bad thing to become speechless before the Lord, just to sit in silence. I talked about fervent prayer. I talked about purposeful prayer. But prayer is not just me talking to the Lord. When I'm praying, the Lord's also speaking to me. The Lord's, the Lord's speaking to my spirit through the Holy Spirit. And so there's not always, sometimes it's, it's okay to just sit in silence and just allow the Lord to just to minister, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So sitting before the Lord in silence is not always a bad thing. I'm reminded of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 and 2. He says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And so Daniel's just, he's hearing these things and he's just speechless. Verse 16, and suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And here I want to focus on the fact that God meets us in our need. Because if you look at verse 10, verse 10, Daniel says, I was like a dead man. And then uh, he's touched by this angel and told to stand up. He, he, he's, he's down on the ground, the angel touches him, tells him to stand up. In verse 12, he's trembling with fear, and the Lord speaks to him, says, don't, or the angel speaks to him, do not fear. In verse 12, also in verse 12, he's praying, and God responds to that. God hears and sends his angel, and this spiritual warfare is being waged on behalf of Daniel, and he's not even aware of it. He's just persevering in prayer. And then here in verse 16, he's speechless, and the angel touches his lips, and now he can speak. When you read that, that reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. And he kind of responded the same way Daniel did. Daniel's down on his ground, on the ground, you know. If you read Isaiah, Isaiah before that, he's saying, Woe to this person, woe to them, and woe to that. He is proclaiming woe on all these people, like I tend to do sometimes, you know, those wicked so-and-sos or whatever. But he comes and he sees this vision of the Lord in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, and his, there's his response. He's been saying, woe to everybody else. Now he says, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
I'm just undone. And the seraphim, if you read that story in Isaiah 6, a seraphim, which is another name for an angel, takes a coal from the altar with tongs and he touches it to Isaiah's lips and his, he's cleansed. You know, I was thinking about that. I go, you know, too often I'm a man of unclean lips. Too, fa- too often I speak in the flesh. I say things I shouldn't say. I, 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 you know, my lips are unclean too often. Oh, that the Lord would touch your and my lips, that we would speak things that the Lord would have us to speak. Uh, you know, it's convicting for me when I read that. I'm like, Lord, I need, I need my lips to t- be touched. Because too often I say things just out of my flesh. Well, going down to the second half of verse 16. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. And I think there's an important principle here, and that's this, that God strengthens his people. It's good to be weak, because then we're strong, because God strengthens us. Verse 18, then again, The one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. You know, ultimately, it was the Lord who was touching Daniel and speaking to Daniel. But he did it through this intermediary. He did this through this angel. Angels are messengers. They're around the throne of the Father in heaven. And as the Lord, just, he just tells them where to go. And they go and they minister. And so ultimately, the Lord is ministering to Daniel, but he's doing it through this angel. And you know, the same is true for you and I as believers. We are his hands and his feet here on the planet. And he wants to minister to others through us. He wants to touch people through us if we're just willing to be used by him. The Lord wants you and I, the Lord wants to use you and I to, as his messengers to touch people on his behalf. And so this angel is ministering to Daniel. He's strengthening Daniel. Well, how did he strengthen Daniel? He spoke these words, these truths to Daniel. First of all, he said, O oh man, greatly beloved. In other words, Daniel, you're loved. You know, if you're sitting here this morning and you go, I, I, just, I don't know if God loves me. <laughs> Let me share this scripture with you. It's on the screen too. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. If you even think that God maybe doesn't love you, the answer is God does love you because he sent his son to die on a cross. I mean, there's no greater gift. I wouldn't give one of my kids for you, but God did. <laughs> God gave his son for you. You're loved. I'm imagining my son's probably like, thank you, Lord. (laughs) You're greatly, you're greatly loved, Daniel. Daniel needed to hear that. The next thing that the angel says is fear not. Fear not. Why? Well, why are we strengthened? How are we strengthened? Through the same words, through scripture. Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. In other words, you're not alone. You're not, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. The Lord God is with you, so you don't have to fear. Isaiah 41, verse 14. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. I love that. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you. 
I was thinking about that. Man, man, he just got he just got dissed by the Lord, you know. <laughs> when when uh, when I got out of boot camp, actually, it was the last day of boot. Camp. I was in the Coast Guard, and uh, we were getting done with boot camp. And our our company commander came in, and as he usually did, he was yelling at us and stuff. And he goes, "You maggots!" You're now seamen. <laughs> so it was like, oh, we graduated, I guess. Um, but, you know, think about that. I don't know if, if any of you, how many of you are afraid of snakes? Anybody like, I don't even want to, there's a few people that are like, I don't touch snakes. I used to, when I was a kid, it's funny, I used to play with snakes. I used to catch them. I would put them in little boxes and stuff. And one time I got this, I thought it was a garter snake and this little baby snake. And I thought it was a really cute. And I grabbed it and I put it in this box. And then I thought, I'm going to go play with it. And I put my hand in there. The thing bit me. And the garter snakes don't bite. This thing bit me. And it hung on my finger. And I'm like this, like trying to, and it slittered off sideways. I'm like, I don't know. What kind, I didn't die from it, obviously. I'm here. But um, I grew up in California where there's a rattlesnake. There wasn't a rattlesnake. But anyways, think about a worm. I mean, what defense does a worm have? <laughs> it's a worm, you know. <laughs> It could be eaten, <laughs> you know. Just, I mean, it just, it just slithers around in the ground. It's defenseless, and I love that. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I'll help you. You see, you and I, we can't help ourselves, but God can. And so, don't be afraid. God can help you. I like Isaiah forty-three, verse one. Also, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Now. This is me anyways. When I spend a lot of money on something, you know, I kind of treasure it. I'm a cheapskate. What can I say? You know, I'm Dutch. But when, when, when I, when I, when I uh, you know, I buy something, if I've spent a lot of money, you can bet I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to make sure it's functioning. I'm definitely not going to lose it. I know where it is because, man, I spent a lot of money on this thing. As opposed to when I don't spend a lot of money on something, it's like, oh, I lost it. Oh, I'll just go out and buy another one. No big deal, you know. Um, but when it's something valuable, man, I take care of it. You and I, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's a very high price. You're valuable, not because of you. I'm sorry to break the news to you. <laughs> it's not because of you. You're not, it's not that you're valuable. You're valuable based on the price that was paid for you and for me the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. You are valuable. And so if you're valuable, do you think God's going to like misplace you or forget about you? Or, oh, I didn't know I left him in that trial. Ah, shoot, I forgot. He's there, you know? No, he's, you're valuable to the Lord because he's redeemed you. So don't be afraid of what you're going through. And then finally, not finally of the message, I'm sorry, but <laughs> finally with this point anyways, <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, the second half of verse 17, verse 18, the Lord is speaking and he says, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. I need to think about that. Why are you afraid? You know, we just sang that song, there is no one like our God, and that is so true. He conquered sin and death. He was dead. He is alive, and he's alive forevermore. And there's nothing greater than the God that you and I serve. So why are we afraid? And so, you know, the angel speaking that, speaking, don't be afraid to Daniel, but the scriptures are speaking this to you and I this morning. Man, don't be afraid. The next thing the angel says to Daniel is peace be to you. 
And you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, when he was crucified and dead and buried, and then he rose again from the dead, the disciples at first, they didn't believe he was risen from the dead. And they're gathered together in this room and they're, you know, licking their wounds or so to speak. And they're kind of in hiding and they're afraid and everything. And it says in Luke 24 verse 36, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. The resurrected Christ, he rose, he proved himself to him. He's there in the, in the room with them. He says, My peace, peace to you. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said this also, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's interesting. Jesus says, My peace I leave with you. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you have this peace. You can't really explain it to people. You might be going through a very difficult thing, but there's this peace that's just there because you have. Like I said, I can't even I can't even quantify it and give you a description. It's just there. I know it's there in my life when I'm going through a difficult time. It's like, yeah, this is really tough, but you know what? I just have this peace because I know God's in control. I know He loves me. You know, there's there's things there's 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 ways. But anyways, it's speaking about lasting peace, peace that's beyond understanding and it's sustaining. That's the peace that you and I have in a relationship with Christ. And then in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So no matter what the world throws at you and I, and I think as we go further on in this culture, and you know, as we're drawing closer and closer to the return of Christ, I think it's going to get tougher. I don't think things are going to get better. Things are going to get, the world's going to be throwing more and more stuff at us. But we can have that peace knowing that God has overcome. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And so anything the world throws at me, yeah, it might not be pleasant. It might be painful. But you know what? I have this peace. And this is that peace that you and I have through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, the second half there. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And he said, and, and, and then Daniel said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Daniel responded, You know, the, the angel just said these words, and then Daniel says, Man, You've strengthened me. Why did I just quote a bunch of scriptures about how we are strengthened? This is why. Because it's God's holy inspired word. I can stand up here and just tell you, you know, be just, you know, if you don't have it as bad as other people or just hang in there, you know, you can make it or, you know, you're an American. You know, right? I could say whatever I could trying to make you feel really good and it's not going to it's not going to do anything. That's why, you know, when I'm teaching through scriptures, I'm not like some pastors. I'm not knocking. I mean, sometimes I look at other pastors and go, man, I wish I could just explain things a lot better rather than just throw scriptures. I throw a lot of scriptures. If you've been around me enough, you know I, I throw a lot of scriptures out there. Why? Because it's the scriptures. It's God's word that's going to change your life. It's God's word that's going to touch you. It's not me. I'm just the messenger. And I'm not always a very good messenger. That's why I'm like, Lord, just speak through your word, please. We were joking around this morning about not speaking, having few words. And I said, well, I'm going to have a very short message. And that's just read scriptures. I'm done. Man, let's pray. <laughs> Anyways, 
But that's why it's God's word that's going to strengthen you. It's not opinions or advice or words of comfort. It's the, holy, it's the word of God. And so just an encouragement for you. If you need encouragement, if you need strengthening, man, go to God's word because that's where you're going to find it. Verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So we're told that we're introduced to these characters. One is the prince of Persia. And this, I believe, is a demon, obviously. Well, I believe it's a demon. And I believe this demon apparently has turf. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got his own place, and it's, it's Persia, the kingdom of Persia. And what his job is, is to try to influence the kings of Persia, the literal king of Persia, whoever's in control. He's influencing the Persian kings for evil. And that's his job. That's his, that's his kind of his turf, so to speak. And there's a prince of Greece who's coming. And that, I believe, would be a demon who'd be influencing Alexander the Great because that's the next kingdom after the Persian kingdom that's going to be a world empire. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm starting to believe that there's a prince of Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, I don't know. I just got this feeling. Um, I want to read a quote to you. It's by a guy by the name of Bob Deffenbaugh. You might say, I have never heard of Bob Deffenbaugh. So I'm going to just give you a little introduction to him. Robert Bob Deffenbaugh graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary with his theological M, whatever that is, <laughs> in 1971. Uh, Bob is a pastor, teacher, and elder at Community Bible Chapel in Richardson, Texas. So he's just he's a pastor. I've gone I've I've just come across some of his stuff in my studies and in my preparation. and I'm like, man, sometimes I love what he says. And I was looking at what he what he touched on in this scripture. And I'm just going to read this. It's too long for me to, to put it on the screen, but I just want to read it to you. He says this. He says, The defeat of the prince of Persia is preliminary to the defeat of Persia and to the rise of Greece, whose prince was soon coming. He's so what he's saying is this prince that's, that this angel is talking about, what's going on, the defeat of this prince, it's before Persia is even, you know, no longer a world empire and Greece is the empire. He says this, it's as though the struggle is waged and won first by the angelic forces in heaven and then carried out on earth by the struggle of human kings. What formerly appeared to be merely an earthly matter in chapter 8 is now shown to have a heavenly or at least angelic counterpart. The rise and fall of kings is according to the sovereign plan and purpose of God, which involves both men and angels. And so what he's talking about is like, there seems to be there's this spiritual battle that takes place alongside and even maybe even before what takes place on earth. And so it's just an interesting thing about spiritual warfare. But the angels closes... This, well, we're closing this chapter. He didn't close the chapter, but I'm closing the chapter. Verse 21, the angel says, But I will tell you the truth, excuse me, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. And if you look into the Hebrew, what that words are, that word noted is the word engraved. And so it's like he's saying, I'm going to tell you what is engraved in the scripture of truth. And the word truth is stability, reliability, or certainty, and is true. 
And if you think about it, if you were, uh, you know, I was looking at these pictures of these people, you know, they're doing, you know, like marble memorials and stuff, and they're grinding away, they're chipping away and engraving. Can you imagine if they made a mistake? What do they do? You know, it's like, oops, <laughs> it's there in stone. But that's what the scriptures are for you and I. It's in stone. In other words, it's unchanging. It's dependable. It's reliable. And it's true. I'll tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. And then he says, no one upholds me against these, and I'm speaking about these other princes, this, these, these forces in the spiritual world. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. What I think this angel is referring to, I think there's a reference, and you can read it in Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a description of this battle. It's a spiritual battle. There's this age-old battle of Satan against the Jewish race. You, you might think, well, why are, the, why are the Jewish people always, you know, they're, they're always persecuted. You know, we had the Holocaust, and, you know, in Nazi Germany, they had the pogroms in, in Soviet Russia and all that. You know, why are they always being persecuted? It's a spiritual reason. It's because Satan hates the Jewish people. When, before Jesus Christ was born, why were all those babies slaughtered in Bethlehem? It wasn't just because of the king was deciding to do it. There was a spiritual warfare trying to prevent the Messiah from being born. And so there's this battle that's been taking place. There would be a male child that would be born, and we read that in Revelation, there would be a male child that would be born of the Jewish race who's Christ the Lord. And these, this battle is trying to prevent this from taking place. And so this leads us now into chapters 11 and 12. We've got about another hour or two. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is going to be all the prophecy now. This angel is going to be sharing more and more with Daniel to finish out the rest of the book of Daniel. It's all prophecy. And the point, I think, this last verse that I, I just want to maybe have us settle on and, and understand is that God's prophetic word is sure. It's going to happen. In fact, when we get into chapter 11... And, and he's, this angel starts speaking of the kings of the north and the south and stuff. I'm going to try to share with you the best I can, you know, what it's applying to, who it's talking about. What's fascinating about chapter 11, just give you a little sneak peek, is that skeptics of the Bible have looked at that and they go, there's no way Daniel could have been written ahead of time because it is so accurate to history. It's a little slammer, but that's because it's God's word, because God sees the end from the beginning. That's one of the ways that God proves he exists, is through prophecy. And so the things that you and I read, the thing, you know, they're going to happen. Now, I might not be 100% right of exactly how things are going to take place. I'm not God. Neither are you, by the way. But they're going to happen. God's word is true. It's sure you can take it to the bank. And so for you and I, hopefully... Hopefully you're encouraged to trust God's word this morning. God is going to strengthen you through his word. He's going to meet you in your needs. And he's also going to reveal his plan, not just for you, but for the world, and his purpose. And you're also going to understand God's heart. We have a treasure in the scriptures. And so I hope you're encouraged to read God's word. Let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer. I'll have the worship team come on up here.